is Media Literate, the podcast where a bunch of grad students do something. I are terrified about the future. We've got a kind of running theme now in the past few episodes um, mm-hmm. where we discuss futurity and temporality and Terrifying. all these. Yes. A um, couple of announcements before we get into everyone's favorite segment, which is making its grand return for season mm-hmm. three. Brief announcements before we continue. Um, one very exciting news. We are now on Instagram. This is Woo. so exciting um, because- It's been a long time coming. It's been a long sure. time coming and- Because nobody wants to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but you should follow us. We are um, at Media Literate Podcast and you can follow us for updates and funny posts, I think. Memes. Um, Have you ever memes. wondered what Laura and I look like? Well, Instagram is a visual medium, oddly enough. (laughs) Our second announcement is not an announcement. It's just a reminder to um, give us uh, a like and subscribe, subscribe. smash that bell. There actually, I think, is a bell on Spotify where you can you can follow the podcast on Spotify. Did you know that? I just followed another podcast on Spotify. There's another um, critical studies grad student podcast. There is. Are I'm we, not going to say their name yet because I would really like to collab with them. Oh, but I was like, going to say, I want to start some LaBeouf with them too. But okay, yes, we should not be making more enemies here. Um, but what yes. if we lose Julia to, to the other podcast? Yeah. <laughs> this Terrifying. has now become a feud. Okay, um, so, but yes, leave us a review and uh, follow us on Spotify. Subscribe yes. on Apple Podcasts. We're All on Stitcher because Laura's mom prefers that yes. as Hi, a mom. podcast uh, listening mm-hmm. platform. Her birthday was at the end of August. Before we bring on our guest for the episode, Colton, who you all know and love, to talk a little bit about nature and monsters. And what? Colton children. wants to talk about monsters? It's wild. Wild. This Real is- swerve for the guy. Wow, different research focus, I guess. Yeah, but um, we have to dive into our critically acclaimed Ooh. Um, Oscar, Oscar. You know, my stepdad's aware? name is Oscar, uh, but Oscar I don't think listening. he actually does listen to the podcast. <laughs> Oscar, hopefully, listening segment. Cannon Potter! I hope that's not too loud for Julia. I'm sorry about the boof. <laughs> okay, so this week for Cannon Fodder, I watched a movie that is um, part of a part of a canon for certain, mm-hmm. uh, a canon of environmental cinema, I would say, uh, the canon of animated cinema, and definitely the canon of movies that I feel bad every time people say you haven't seen that, and I'm like, I know, mm-hmm. I fucked mm-hmm. up. Um, it is Princess Mononoke. Ooh, yeah, I think Studio Ghibli is kind of its own canon at this point yeah. for a lot of people. Oh yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. And each Studio Ghibli movie, like is there a movie in that from that studio that people are like, eh? I actually uh, had a friend who recently wanted to like watch more than just the famous ones and he watched what he described as some absolute trash. But Porco Rosso? There's a I... Rosso, there's one about a pig and also a cat in a top hat. So I watched Princess Mononoke. I don't remember where we cut this at all. You know, I remember, I actually did see Princess Mononoke. It was on a bus on a middle school trip to Washington, D.C. And I remember that seats were very uncomfortable. So that's all I have to say about Princess Mononoke. So would you please tell me about it? It's not a rave review. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, yeah. So I watched it and I was absolutely stunned. Mm. I was shocked. I was, I was surprised in many ways. It had an excellent opening. It was like so cinematic. And like, in a way that I was just like, I don't think I've seen a movie do this in a little bit. Um, so I was really impressed by that. It is also as far as the, like all Studio Ghibli, um, I've always said Ghibli, by the way, when you said Studio Ghibli, I was like, I don't, is this right? Am I I crazy? I don't know. Okay. Well, we will find out from Colton (laughs) who probably knows better or the internet. You know what? Engage with our social media, message us, tag us in your uh, Instagram stories about how we can reignite the whole gif gif thing, but with Ghibli (laughs) Ghibli. I think it'll be great. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, as far as those movies go like they're all gorgeous they're Mm -hmm. also mainly focused on young people or children Mm -hmm. um this movie is i think possibly more beautiful like the animation is just so so beautiful Mm. um and it's also much more adult both in its uh like violence level and also mm-hmm. it's sort of complexity so there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie it's about a young boy who like gets bitten by it's the industrial revolution is happening and it's bad for the spirits in this forest essentially mm-hmm. um he gets cursed it's all about like violence and hate and prejudice and and also not caring about the environment um so there's a lot of that going on but it's also holy crap people be getting decapitated nice bodies be melting this is like very upsetting it's like it's so violent he at one point accidentally kills two men by shooting them with his bow and arrow and his cursed like super strength arm so hard that he like shoots them so hard that this one guy his both of his arms get like chopped off (laughs) It's like it's like a and Mortal Kombat to a tree. Oh my yeah. god! <laughs> yeah, uh, and then another guy, like he does the same thing again, and he like he truly just pops a man's head off. Uh, it's <laughs> so violent and so upsetting. Um, really, really good. Great drama, great animation, but also like the complexity of it. It really does deal with these interesting elements of industrialization where. Mm-hmm the main bad guy is a uh, is a baddie uh total girl boss mm-hmm. in Love that it. yeah equality is very important yes um, of course <laughs> and she does not care about engaging within systems of oppression and violence to get equality yeah <laughs> hashtag empowered women empower women which like this woman actually does so it, she's a really compelling villain because mm-hmm. she is like helping lepers like so she's she's I got hate this whole help lepers uh it's right gross. yeah so the whole so, issue so. is that she's they're like mining ore from this mountain um mm-hmm. and she wants to take up the world with these rifles and the people who she has designing all her weapons are these lepers that she like liberated and gave a better life and she comes to this mining town where all the men are sort of like pigs and they're all kind of like a little they're a little chauvinist they're like oh our women are they're they're so they're they don't stay in line since this new lady came to town and she like kind of liberates the women and like gives them a new sense of empowerment and they're very um sort of raucous and and a little catty and very fun um so she's like creating these social changes that we associate with industrialization um Mm -hmm. 
social uplift, uh, but also at the price of like cultural norms in this community from before, as mm-hmm. well as like the the forest, the surrounding environment, wow. and creating this. So it, there's a lot going on. Yeah, strongly pro okay. Princess Mononoke, and it's not in a way that it's like if you've seen one Studio Ghibli movie, you've seen them all. Mm-hmm. It's you have not seen this movie. Okay, so highly recommend. That's very good to know. I mean. I already saw it on that bus like uh, 10 years ago, but you know, I think 10 years ago, you were, (laughs) I've heard stories from your freshman year of college. You are a different woman. (laughs) I bet you'd like it. That's a good point. Um, So yeah, you know, I was going to make a, going to take us into a whole Kira segue, but I actually think that that is itself a wonderful transition to our main segment uh, with Colton. It, encompasses not just the films but so many so much of what we're going to be talking about the themes of oh yeah i did a segue film for canon fodder it's true (laughs) when you were saying that i was like doing that more but we just aren't so no 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 no, no. yeah we need to be able to like cherry pick literally any film that we were supposed to watch just completely (laughs) randomly because otherwise it's going to be like uh do i pick this one do i no one of these weeks i'm just watching apocalypse now it's happening also kind of relevant also oh man okay apocalypse Apocalypse. now (laughs) we're taking a break bye Welcome back. Um, we are here with Colton returning again. So lovely to see you again. It feels like it's been minutes. You know, it feels like it's been season. minutes, but really it's been at least an hour since I last talked to you. Um, <laughs> so uh, also on Zoom. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, still <laughs> Zoom still going strong. Um, so, so Colton, you're here to talk like about monsters again, which is shocking, right? I know. Yeah. Kind of a surprise. Really good segue, by the way, Kim. That was flawless. That was, that was flawless. The way that I just like cut off Laura. Yes. Just yeah. then, it was yeah. like super... I was going to do a tidy little intro, but. Um, oh, you're going to make it tidy. So as we, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we are kind of on a, a running theme of thinking about the future and um, what the place of media is in the future. And so one thing that we want to look at today with the help of our dear friend Colton is is how um, film and media in general can guide and reshape our relationship with nature. And so as we indicated earlier, um, we're gonna be looking at the films of Hayao Miyazaki with, among others, with the help of Colton. Colton, say hello again. Hello again. Nice. I, I realized that as you were talking, I was like nodding, but <laughs> there's no one in the audience to see me nodding. So I mm-hmm. agree with everything you said. Yeah. Hi, I'm Colton. Follow us on um, Instagram to see potentially a picture of Colton nodding. Again, Colton <laughs> Instagram, nodding. a visual medium. Whole story. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, we've talked several times, but I really enjoy studying horror and particularly monster films. And so we thought we'd look at this one from a unique perspective mm-hmm. with Hayao Miyazaki films. So yeah. yeah. Excited actually, because I really like this topic. Yeah, so um, I guess uh, I haven't, I've seen two Miyazaki films. <laughs> I saw Princess Mononoke on the bus. You need like eight more. 
I saw Princess Mononoke bus when I was uh, 14. Doesn't and count. I saw uh, Nausicaa of the Valley the of the part. Wind. The movie counts. Yeah, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind um, because a friend who really loves it was um, really wanted me to watch it. And we watch it together. And the whole time he was kind of doing that thing where like when you watch a movie that's really important to you with somebody where you're like, did you, did, did you see that shot? Did, and I was uh, just not in the mood at the moment. So I, 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 I might just be dead inside. I don't know. I also didn't like Penn's Labyrinth that much. I don't know. Getting back on track, media so and the it. environment. Media has had a relationship with its portrayals of the environment going back as far as I don't know. I'm thinking about Godzilla right now, but great obviously it goes robbery. back. <laughs> I guess all media is about the environment to some extent, but like, I don't know. What do we, like, I feel like when I think about media and, and like how it portrays the environment, I usually think of like disaster films, mm-hmm. like my favorite disaster film, Titanic. Uh, that is or... not a disaster film. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, it's I a, disaster, it's a disaster, disaster, but it's not, that, that's not about Nathan. <laughs> it's about Here's a boat. iceberg. Isn't it sad that all the icebergs are melting? (laughs) I don't think that's Titanic's take. (laughs) They probably (laughs) wish that it started a little bit earlier. (laughs) Uh, I'm with you here, Laura, though, for sure. Um, All of my, like, ideas of major weather very much came from the news. uh, And by the news, I mean the movies and not the news. (laughs) I'm great at this. Um, I just started thinking about uh, Benjamin Button, the curious case of Benjamin Button, but sort of like reframed uh, after knowing about Hurricane Katrina for a while, uh, being born and conscious Mm -hmm. when like by the time that happened, I have a really hard time thinking about that event outside of like those movie contexts and Mm -hmm. like the first time I ever heard about a tornado was in the trailer for Twister and Mm. I was like tornadoes were a major threat in my childhood like what's a that's a John Mulaney sketch right where he's like quitsand you think it's gonna be everywhere (laughs) right that's how I felt about tornadoes (laughs) yeah no that's that's really true um I feel like when I think about um I mean that that's one like body of of films is the disaster film the like natural disaster film and then there's the like titanic like titanic exactly um thank you i love titanic a lot um but i feel like you know as we enter continue on in this era of you know climate change being on our mind more and more um there's a, a potentially a turn more towards media devoted to that um but there's, I don't know, there's, I'm thinking, this isn't about climate change, but I'm thinking one way of doing that. And this isn't necessarily the best way, but like, you know, in Firefly, they have like a little like narration intro where they're like, Love you know, Firefly. the, uh, the earth's you, humanity used up all the earth's natural resources. So we had Very to go folksy. other places. Yeah. Like there's a little <laughs> terraform. Hey kids, little, I'm just like, rocking on my rocking chair right. on the front porch of but the like, space station. But there's this sense of like, <laughs> um kind of skipping over the hard part you know where it's like we used up our natural resources so we left Mm. and it's like yeah but and and that was kind of what I grew up on like I grew up on that and also Star Trek and other um Wally uh that too in a way although that's a bit I think more almost more sober about it than like yeah but it is still like you get to skip over that the the climate disaster part and then here we are like I mean, 
experiencing either in our personal lives or via the news, via social media, um, that actually playing out mm-hmm. in real time. And it's, you know, surprising that <laughs> in the most naive possible way to say it, but like, oh, we don't just get to skip over this part. Yeah. There's no montage in real there, life, yeah. it turns out. Mm-hmm. Wow. There's no Whoa, Colton, that was is that profound or really was... lame? I can't tell if ah! it's like a pity. <laughs> Jury's out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's interesting, Laura, that your perspective of like the way that cinema kind of mediates our perception of nature, right, is very fewer, like future focused. Mm-hmm. And and mine is yeah. always like the day after tomorrow was as far in the future as we got with that, like. Mm-hmm that one guy who's not Harrison Ford, um, Dennis Quaid, looking <laughs> uh-huh. for young Jake Gyllenhaal with the angel of music from the Phantom of the Opera. Wow. I haven't seen Day of the Tomorrow, so this is 100% gibberish. Wait, gibberish? Is it gibberish? gibberish? Stop that. Sorry. <laughs> so- no, but like there's this sort of relationship between nature that, that cinema will create for us. It sort of bridges us to these ideas of, especially like you were saying, in the sort of like post 2000 era, there's a lot of, of anxiety around natural disasters. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think like when we were talking about what we were going to do with this episode, we were kind of like, is that the best way to think about, to, to think about our relationship with right. this planet that we live on and our relationship with the climate that is changing and that we are pretty actively changing mm-hmm. right now? Yeah. And then Colton was like, well, so, I got another idea. <laughs> yeah, so uh, one big thing that we see a lot with these films is that you'll see the disaster stuff, but then sometimes some sort of giant monster or beast or threat will come because of like an environmental accident, right? The mm. biggest one, which we talked about in other seasons, Godzilla mm-hmm. in some ways is like an environmental response, right? Mm-hmm. That like humans are doing bad things and pollution, that kind of stuff. Um, but also the host, a great follow-up. The yeah. host, yeah. The host directly comes from pollution in the Han River, which mm-hmm. leads to that. And the monster represents both pollution in the film right. and also. Oh, I just, Blood Quantum is oh. another one. Blood Quantum is a, Blood a great Quantum, film yeah. that hopefully we'll be able to discuss uh, later on in this, this third season of ours. Very excited. <laughs> oh yeah. my goodness. Are we giving our we listeners even... homework right now? Before the next episode comes out, go watch Blood Quantum. Please watch Blood Jeff Quantum. Barnaby. It's really good. Rent it. Um, for real i was gonna say uh kim what's interesting with these is that movies like you said you saw the tornado and they thought tornadoes were everywhere and this was like a huge like worry for you so movies affect the way we feel about the world around us and they can Mm -hmm. either like exaggerate to get a point across or Mm -hmm. hit home in just the right way that we actually which is kind of what we're gonna be talking about today but also uh the day after tomorrow we watched that in New York, like my dad and my brothers and mm-hmm. I, we were visiting New York and we thought, let's go watch the day after tomorrow in New York city. And then we left New York city, like terrified to go out <laughs> into the city. Like, are things okay? So that's how traumatizing it was for little, I don't remember how old I was. Little baby Colton. Colton. Baby Colton. Little baby Colton. I was probably like 15 because I'm no, so old. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> little baby. Yeah. So, uh, so but you'll then- get that, right. We'll get disasters and then also disasters and like monsters or demons or kind of this combo of stuff will happen every now and again so Mm -hmm. and so I think the idea like 
that you were sort of suggesting by talking about Miyazaki films was like, how is that relationship different? Like, how is the relationship between the the protagonists and the environment different um, in those films than in your sort of like mainstream environmental movie? Miyazaki makes movies that have children alongside like monsters or some sort of catastrophe related to pollution in general. And then also in like some fantasy or kind of different world, right? Where there's other creatures and things. And uh, I think one of the reasons that he does that is to try and help teach kids how to interact with nature and the environment and to encourage them to do so. So we're gonna talk about that a little bit more with looking at a specific film, but generally that's that's the idea that I studied over the summer with a handful of his films, so. What films were you looking at? Yeah, so um, I guess we can kind of go right in and talk about Miyazaki and those films specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, okay. So uh, Hayao Miyazaki, who's probably one of the best known Japanese animators, mm-hmm. um, he helped co-found, and I'm going to say it the way that I've always said it, and the internet has arguments over this, <laughs> but I always say studio Ghibli. Oh, I got it wrong. Okay, I'm sorry. See, but I don't know. Suck but, it. But if you ask online, they will say Ghibli some places, yeah. and then there's some massive essay about a guy. Anyway, I mean, I our white right friend answer. Colton from Utah definitely <laughs> is the one who can determine whether or not I am correct True. about Wait, the pronunciation. Sh- of hang this. on, surely Hayao Miyazaki has said it out loud, like on camera or on. Yeah, but not, not in point. English. But, yeah, but the. I what? guess I don't. I guess I don't pronounce like pa- like Paris as Paris in like. But exactly, I think it would yeah. be pretty so insufferable. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. So. I think I think in Japanese they have a a G like Ghibli, but they say it. I'm not even going to try, but they, they right. it's pronounced very different than we would say in English, and so. Gotcha. Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. Someone will probably comment and correct that. But yes. Exactly. Engagement. Engage um, our socials. Miyazaki, yeah, and tell us the correct way, even though you'd have to write it out. So that'll be fun. <laughs> um, Studio Ghibli is pronounced Studio Ghibli. That's what they'll Duh. say. Um, okay, so Hayao Miyazaki, born in 1941, very famous Japanese animator, co-founded Studio Ghibli, made an array of films. And the ones that I specifically looked at over the summer were um, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, mm-hmm. My Neighbor Totoro, Spirited Away, and Princess Mononoke. Mm-hmm. Which like are most of his really popular ones. Mm -hmm. And we looked at those in the way that he presented kind of children and the environment and the way that the children react with the environment based on the relationship to these monsters or these beasts or these fantasy creatures Mm -hmm. um, versus how the adults did it. And so that was kind of a big difference there. Um, Mm -hmm. And real quick, just some background on Miyazaki. He's a very interesting artist because like he refuses interviews. So maybe he's never been recorded oh. saying Ghibli. Um, he knows he also... the author is dead. So it's up to audience yeah. interpretation. Thanks, Miyazaki. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's also like very against having his films recut. So mm. the American like Disney will try and get his movies and they'll try and recut it for a Disney audience. And he doesn't like mm. that. He like won't allow it. He's also against... Um, the his films being released on video because he only wants them to be seen in a theater and he doesn't want people to watch movies over and over he wants them to just 
be out in the world. So it's really odd. He's this is hilarious because I watched uh, Princess Mononoke on your phone worst streaming platform hbo ah, max hbo max <laughs> they're like no 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 stay home. <laughs> um so yeah so uh miyazaki himself like if you look at his background it helps explain some of the reasons why he is this way mm-hmm. like why his movies are that way but he's very anti-capitalist even though he's known as a workaholic mm. he um is very like pro-children but he's kind of distant to his own and all that stuff but generally all of his movies have consistent elements of children, nature, and then like fantastical creatures. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you'll see those reoccurring through, through all of his films. Mm-hmm. I think there's this interesting difference between the way that children sort of figure in Miyazaki movies um, yep. and, and how they figure in you know, your average disaster movie or mm-hmm. nature, man versus nature thing. Right. Jurassic Park is a kind of complicated version of that. Um, it's it's man versus a type of nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is that sort of like Jurassic Park model where you have these two kids that are, or an amount of kids and they're like off on their own. And they're the whole point of the movie is like, we have to save those kids. Mm-hmm. And in Miyazaki movies, it's usually like the kids being like, we got to help out these idiot adults <laughs> they are really not doing great yes. right now yeah. yeah there's kind of the image yeah. of like the like the, the protagonist of the film often like scooping up a screaming child and run, like running away from the mm-hmm. from the monster um i'm kind of reminded yeah. of um again i haven't seen that much studio ghibli but uh i'm kind of reminded of a few like um the little prince is kind of the uh Aww stupid fucking horn sorry um i'm kind of reminded of the little prince as this uh, the quintessential not the quintessential but a quintessential like parents just don't understand uh book about uh (laughs) i just yeah um but uh where it's all about how stupid adults are and Mm. how like or focused on money or non-imaginative or Right. Yeah. And children have this kind of freedom of imagination and a, a different type of humanity. That's interesting yeah, So that you say, Colton, like focused on money, sort of going off of what Laura was talking about, because mm-hmm. there is this that might be the one crossover between the kids of the Miyazaki or the like parents just don't understand as you as you've said genre transition music (laughs) I know I can the transition music specifically be the parks and rec rap (laughs) (laughs) parents just don't understand uh how much of that can we get legally probably a very short amount teacher leave these kids alone I'll just play consistently Ooh, like from Pink Floyd okay sorry look at us branching out into different forms of media mediums um but yeah there's this usually very anti-capitalist uh yep leaning of the disaster movie right where there's one person who's like once again thinking of dennis quaid in the day after tomorrow mm-hmm. he's like oh we got to do this this is really serious we need to change things around and then everyone's like we can't do that but the <laughs> money yeah. and so that that there is that kind of like still the bad guy is usually very capitalist um mm-hmm. uh but the 
way that these two characters or this two like protagonist archetypes deal with the sort of grand forces of nature right Mm -hmm. are completely different where with the disaster movie there's always it's always scientists right there's these scientists and they're like okay we're gonna figure out just like we need to drill into this part of the meteor or we need to like turn off the the ac in the atmosphere Mm -hmm. (laughs) or what have you uh and the kids are just like what if we listen to like what if we slowed down it's sort of like it's sort of like very um practical pragmatic empirical approach versus a more empathic emotional approach that children will usually take in these movies Um, yeah but also like what do you guys think like the difference is in in how that does like if we're starting off on the basis that like movies mediate our relationship with nature then how are these two like different mediations like what are the different results how does it change our relationship with nature if we use different ones as our model you're saying Miyazaki versus other like disaster Miyazaki films? versus Daniel Daniel Quaid Daniel, Daniel Craig. Craig Dennis Dennis Daniel Quaid, Quaid. Dennis, <laughs> Quaid. Dennis Quaig. yeah there's very much a, a binary component of a lot of those um a lot of these films I'm also reminded of Avatar directed by Titanic director James Cameron which I also saw for the first time on that bus trip to DC alongside Princess Mononoke um, and this and you prefer Avatar what a combo <laughs> no what I hate is- Avatar with a passion what? but like uh, I just but um it wasn't no, but obviously like that okay for you that has the kind we should of- also note that James Cameron is a supporter of this podcast <laughs> um, Laura finish your sentence but we won't let you <laughs> that has the I mean the corporation is the villain there um but and then yep. the solution is the kind of like uh, going native element um mm-hmm. which comes up also in a lot of these stories which has its, its own set of problems um but yeah there's very much a like a man and nature binary and I think one thing that I was thinking about from something that we had in class Kim was about the kind of the legacy of the enlightenment as this uh, kind of worldview shaping uh, moment of like, we are, you know, like scientific, rational, logic, mm-hmm. human beings. We are like educated. I think that, that there's this like, um, you know, we are like, yeah, we can, we can master the environment. Mm-hmm. And then, and to do that, you do have to be separate from the right. environment. And there's almost kind of like yeah. a lapsarian moment in the idea of like, at some point you grow up and you lose, you, you, you lose your innocence or something like you, mm-hmm. you lose something uh, by becoming an adult that I feel like. <laughs> and maybe that something is nature. Like, is that mm-hmm. what we think Miyazaki's films point is toward? Is Miyazaki returning so... to the Garden of Eden? I don't know. That's the it's not uh, not, I mean, not in that Miyazaki has strong a... mixture of cultures, maybe. But like, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no. Actually, so so that's that's a val- right. So Eden would be Christian's um, mythology, Christian background. However, um, Miyazaki Japan uh, Shintoism has a huge focus, which state religion or was kind of a focus. Mm. Was it um, the big religion in Japan? It's um, major focus is on nature and respecting nature and having reverence towards nature. So there is a religious mix mm. with culture aspect of that. But I think, Kim, one of the best ways to talk about this 
discussion of how media, how these films do that would be to look at an example. Um, so there's my fun segue into the next part. Oh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. was it? This is insufferable. Right? We okay. have to move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, um, so first, before I do that, um, Miyazaki's movies focus on nature for a couple of reasons. One of it mm. is because he grew up. He 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 was probably too young to remember World War II like ending specifically, but born in the early '40s, he grew up in that world that was kind of wrought with the after effects, mm-hmm. bombings, etc. So like he remembers that. And then he also, as a young um, like scholar, really tied on to this um, belief um, that the Japanese people were, um, they have agriculture, agricultural beginnings. This mm. is a theory from a, I'm going to try and say the name, but Hisashi Nakao, who's a Japanese um, archaeologist who kind of looked at the history and essentially claims that the Japanese people came from the forest. And so that really sticks with Miyazaki in his films. And so he always has like the forest, the return to the forest and nature, how important that is. Mm-hmm. But essentially all of Miyazaki's films utilize these creatures or these fantasies to promote ecological conservation. And then also like a coexistence between the people which have the adults who are kind of angry or against it. And then the kids who accept it and try and convince the adults mm-hmm. with nature and, and it's it's really a call for this coexistence and one film that does that really well is Nausicaa mm. I almost yes. did the air horns again I really <laughs> love that <laughs> yes that is very appropriate <laughs> if not if not one the air horns if I could make like just go back to synth sound yeah. Nausicaa is yeah. all about synth that soundtrack mm. is just yep. like I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna do that she has the thing that she wields too that makes like mm. a whistle noise oh, the whole time. Really cool too. So I for the, for the I, listeners, I was swinging my hand around. <laughs> I realized no one can see that. So I saw Nausicaa, um, but no, again, no, 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 no. I don't remember Nausicaa it very was much because I'm in the dead inside. No, while you were Mononoke. holding hands with someone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Would and you please? Would, would you please chilled. remind me of Nausicaa and the plot? Yeah. And, Okay, so Nausicaa takes place like a thousand years after the world quote unquote ended. So in the, in, the, in the story, there was a massive war, they call it the seven days of fire that was apocalyptic. And so the world ended and civilizations have been living in little pockets for like a thousand years. And there are these massive toxic jungles that have toxic um, spores and are protected by these huge insects. Hmm. And they call it the, uh, like the sea of decay or the sea of desolation. And the toxic jungle is expanding. And so this like polluted environment keeps expanding outward. And so the cities are getting smaller, getting kind of attacked. And then if they ever try to get rid of the forest or open up space, these giant insects, like huge insects attack them. And so that's like the world that we live in. Yeah, like huge frightening caterpillars mm-hmm. <laughs> um and in in the film um Nausicaa who is a young princess of one city state who tries to live in peace with the toxic jungle they don't attack the jungle and they try and live in peace with the insects they are attacked by other city states that are trying to um uh burn down the jungle essentially and so one of the city states has the embryo of this massive 
monster machine that uh, was used to destroy the earth the first time and they like got their hands on one and they want to use that to get rid of the insects and like mm. save humanity and mm. so it's it's about the conflict between these city states and then Nausicaa who is trying to be peaceful in the middle mm-hmm. and eventually her finding out that the toxic jungle is actually purifying the ground underneath it that was polluted and like rather than um it being pollution up top is actually taking the pollution out of the soil so the t- toxic jungle is good right and they're trying to destroy it and so it's kind of a you know and then she gets along with the insects and she uh tries to protect one of the insects and mm-hmm. is like killed by the horde and then resurrected and then the insects leave and people live in peace so what is it about <laughs> a rough summary <laughs> yeah thank you so what is it about nausicaa being a kid that feels particularly relevant i mean could it have been done could she have been an adult in this story and kind of what is that what does that add to it that she is young yeah i guess that's that's a good question um and you'd have to look at the way that she differs from the adults like mm-hmm. in presentation uh miyazaki always usually does his movies from the perspective of a child and like will actually do what it's like to be a kid mm. physically with the camera and everything else so he likes that time of innocence like you've talked about but um the way that the adults and children differ in this is pretty drastic so the adults are very aggressive and violent so when the insects come out they pull out their guns so they want to shoot them mm-hmm. and um nausicaa tries to calm them down and then calmly like move the insect back to safety so this happens in multiple places it's with an injured insect that they're trying to attack and where she like leads it safely away and avoids anybody dying mm-hmm. and then also with a little animal in the beginning she gets bitten by it but doesn't fight back and the animal becomes her friend she also saves the city because she was willing to be kind and so the kids are shown as kind and peaceful versus violent whereas the parents are like they jump to violence mm. all the time they think the best way to protect themselves is to kill the enemy and nausicaa shows you from a kid's perspective that that's not the case mm-hmm. so so the benefit is that a child's point of view is valid in these films it leads to a good end mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i also think that like the things that you're highlighting here aren't just necessarily things to do with these child protagonists and their innocence, but also the way that they relate to the sort of, I wouldn't say that the nature entirely functions as an antagonist, or maybe, Mm. I guess it does in your strip, like man versus nature uh, binary. It's a natural force. Yeah, but it is, exactly. So so nature as a destructive neutral, Mm -hmm. chaotic neutral perfect yeah (laughs) back to D &D. Mm -hmm. uh where's brie and and dan and um so so nature is functioning though these adults are are responding violently but they're not just like man fuck these trees they're like they're responding violently (laughs) to these massive forces and this like yeah this comes up a lot in in Miyazaki movies where nature sort of becomes like personified. I'm sure you love this, Colton. It, the, there's like a, a monstrous sort of analogy for the power of nature, right? Uh, in Nausicaa, yeah. it's these massive bugs that like will come out and like destroy, like cause cause great destruction. Um, mm-hmm. There's similar stuff with um, 
when this is more definitely the human's fault in Princess Mononoke, but the forest will sort of like fight back. Or yeah, even in Howl's Moving Castle, Howl is this um, very hot but unwieldy force uh, that that sometimes will lash out and hurt uh, the young slash old protagonist Sophie. Right. So it's yeah. not just that these adults are like, I hate nature. It's that they're responding to the great power yeah, that's that, that is coming from nature, right? And the destructive power of nature. And yep. so it's not necessarily just that like kids are nice and like trees and adults are bad and they hate trees, but it's more that kids, the innocence of childhood in these movies sort of operates more to mediate with nature, whereas mm-hmm. adults kind of work to gain a mastery over nature. And that, yeah, going back to what you were talking about, for kids, yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah. it completely lacks the reverence that you were talking about that that yeah. Miyazaki really like weaves into his narratives. There's and not just his narratives, but the visuals. There's such a visual reverence for the environment mm-hmm. in all of his movies. Yep. Well, yeah, so, yeah, and to build off that point, Miyazaki is like a massive auteur right especially because his films are animated so everything right. is consistent and thought out and planned but um what's interesting with your your comment about the, the difference that adults aren't just like attacking because they want to a lot of their um a lot of the presentation is that these things that seem bad and evil from the adult's perspective are like trying to think of the way to say this um, are just two separate things that the adults attack because they don't understand and are fearful of. And sometimes the children try to understand. So like Totoro is similar to that. Totoro is like this massive bear thing that shows up to comfort the kids. And it's, it's this spirit from nature that is there to comfort the kids. And so he's also mm-hmm. saying nature, even though it can be big and daunting, is comforting and sh- you should allow it to comfort you. Mm-hmm. And most of the interactions that happen between the um, the violent nature or like these violent things in, especially in in Nausicaa, the adults and these warring states provoked all these insects to charge. In Mononoke, um, a lot of the spirits are upset because of pollution. Mm-hmm. In in the very beginning of Mononoke, when that boar demon comes out, it's because of the pollution. So people die. You can't just like say boar, calm down. People mm-hmm. are still getting hurt, but usually it starts from some sort of polluted action or aggressive action on the adult side that makes this chaotic force become more destructive than it was mm-hmm. before. I so, think yeah. that's a really interesting point because I like I'm really drawn in by this idea of like you know yeah the way that the children interact with the nature. I'm also wondering kind of how we like as viewers whether the viewer is a child or an adult because obviously so many adults also love Miyazaki's work um can take that into our own lives because it's one thing to see the movie and be deeply moved by its message it's another thing to be you know as we talked about earlier witnessing or experiencing the you know (laughs) horrible toll that natural disasters are taking on um, you know, all over the world, uh, and, you know, like, and it, to be clear, like, we in no way want to trivialize 
that mm -hmm. because yeah, I wouldn't say that our or Miyazaki's like stance on this podcast is like, <laughs> have you like, tried making friends right, with the hurricane? Right. But how can it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. So keeping that in mind, that caveat of like, no, this does have a very material effect on people's lives. How can we like what can we take from this from, you know, from this message? No, that's good. Apply it yeah. to our, our own lives, our own like viewpoint moving forward. Like, how can we take this and segue it on to what we do in our real life? <laughs> Kim just shook her head. So maybe that was a bad one. Okay, no, so that's a great point. So what, what's the point, right? Like, why, why does he do this? Um, so when Nausicaa ends, there's like a little tree that's growing in the, mm -hmm. in the place of, you can see her mask there. And then there's like a little sprout. And a lot of people have written about this and opinions that I have as well is that these movies that take these kids and try and show them as a way of trying to understand nature rather than only fight it helps mm -hmm. to present this idea that the rising generation needs a different understanding of the way they interact with nature mm. in ways of pollution, et cetera, right? So it's saying the adults, the previous generation, they didn't get this right. We need the new generation to understand and do better, right? So that mm -hmm. things can grow. Mm -hmm. um, so Miyazaki talks a lot about I'm just going to read a quote that he said, um, which goes along with this. Coming with the quotes, <laughs> which goes along with this comment that Kim, where you said like nature is is just a force. Um, Miyazaki has talked about this. He said, "We need courtesy toward water, mountains, and air, in addition to living things. We should not ask courtesy from these things, but we ourselves should give courtesy to them instead." I do believe that the existence of the period when the power of force was much stronger than our own power. There is something missing within our attitude toward nature. Hmm. And so I think the whole, he, he does the kid thing to, to, to kind of say the whole, have you tried being friends in some capacity? Although it's recognizable that Nausicaa dies. She's brought back, but she dies. But I think he also does the kids to try and say, hey, new generation this is what you need to learn and because then kids watch it and then kids say oh i should be in trees more trees are good or <laughs> i should be in nature right it's this, I, that was i, I be in totally trees, yes. get what you mean but that was a uh <laughs> that was a great way of summing it up damn i wish i took more away from pan's labyrinth because i feel like it'd be a great movie to bring up here oh well i wish you would have watched i guess you could just talk about seeing them in the background <laughs> You could just yeah. talk about inhospitable world and cinema in the time of the Anthropocene. But now that um, you've brought the word Anthropocene up, do you want to explain what the Anthropocene it? is? Uh, yes, yes, I, I can do that. Okay, yeah. so basically the Anthropocene is, um, it's what some geologists believe to be the sort of like geological epoch, epoch that we are in right now. So you've got your Jurassic period, your, your etc. scene and the Holocene. And what in starting in like, I think the early 2000s, geologists started using this phrase to describe the point at which rather than natural processes acting on humanity, humans actions begin to drive natural yeah. processes. Um, so we can look at, for example, like hurricanes and the types of hurricanes we're seeing right now, the types of fires we're seeing right now, but also like not just disaster, but just the shape of our, of our ecosystems are primarily 
carved out by mm-hmm. humanity's actions. Yeah. So the anthro means is like humans and the poke the po- scene. scene. The scene. Anthropo and <laughs> then the scene. And then the scene. Yes. Um yeah. yeah. So we're in the age of man, basically, mm-hmm. officially. Yeah. Um yeah. I think it was around the sixties mm-hmm. or seventies, actually, I think. But um oh, which really? is actually is an interesting the way that that coincides with like Hayao Miyazaki's own coming of age um, mm-hmm. and a lot of like the coming of age of people after World War II. I was thinking about Pink Floyd and yep. the Wall, yep. uh, yes. but, which is like very much addressing that same trauma after World War II. But anyway. Oh yeah, um, no. So the Anthropocene like starts, is, is yeah. theorized to like start in around the 60s mm-hmm. um, and 70s. Some one theorist was like specifically like the instant that we dropped the atomic bomb because that mm-hmm. leaves like a geological trace that yeah. in like millions of years when future time geologists or no one at all <laughs> probably yeah. looks at rocks they're going to see the traces of the atomic bomb so right. like that's still yeah. right there. yeah yeah so that's i mean it's interesting colton that you you specifically bring up like the kind of the generational element um because of course like i don't know like as a millennial um my i think my coming of age was in a time where like global warming is a thing and we still Mm -hmm. said global warming then and like yeah this is it was talked about but i think that they're in like subsequent generations there's going to be more of a like this isn't to come this is reality and that's just a very different that the mindset is no longer anticipatory it's it's your it's it's here baby yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. what what can we do to make it not as bad as it's going to be and that's what a lot of literature and stories about they said we're already on a bad path Mm -hmm. but we can still make corrections make it not as bad as it will be but we've permanently changed um the earth so so miyazaki makes these movies about kids trying to get along with nature and then in the background really what he's doing is he's not only dictating the way that like the kids treat nature or treat these monsters that are different than them and scary. But he's also trying to get themes across of how we need to treat ourselves, how how these relationships mm-hmm. should dictate relationships with things that we don't recognize or understand or that we're afraid of. So Mother he's, Nature he's needs a, a self-care night. Sorry. I yeah. just... Give her a bath bomb. A bottle of rosé. <laughs> feel really bad about that one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> on that <laughs> so okay so um okay so so it's it's, yes. the, <laughs> it's um Miyazaki not only shows us courtesy towards the forest but how that relationship should also dictate courtesy towards each other that's kind of the main thing right that mm-hmm. these elements of nature that are massive and terrifying and raging are also things that are really just protectors of nature or things that we need to also have reverence towards and be respectful to. So, so that, that, that's, that's the point, right? Is he wants these movies to affect, to affect the viewers in that way. And, and one of the reasons that this is so powerful or that people like talk about Miyazaki being an ecological filmmaker or ecological entertain, uh, education is because he employs like a fictional pseudo historical environment where this catastrophe either has already happened or is happening. Mm-hmm. And he allows it to draw audiences into a conversation about the current ecology right now. Um, he demonstrates the cost of these things on less fortunate groups. So people who don't have access, they don't have um, ways to really prevent 
or know how to prevent certain mm-hmm. types of pollution or they don't know a lot about it. Um, there's this understanding that in the world of pollution and ecology that it's um, the economy of pollution is those who can do it, those who pollute are not the only ones affected, but even those who have no capability to pollute are equally affected by it. And this just gets those ideas out there. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's the whole concept of, I'm going to tell you a story about something to leave an effect with you versus mm-hmm. an ad campaign that says, you know, stop polluting as much. This The story sits with viewers and that's what yeah. um, Miyazaki is trying to do. Can, can I introduce a question that's a bit of a bummer? <laughs> Let's see, see if we have an answer Is it worse it. than the atomic bomb? The, the, the atomic bath bomb. I mean, it's not as funny. <laughs> Please. Uh, so something you said, Laura, earlier was that this time that we grew up was a little bit different. And the time that the generation previous to us grew up was definitely different where mm-hmm. climate change. Yes. Yes. We were like a sliding scale right here um, where climate change is sort of positioned as something that is to come. Like we're going to start seeing the effects. We're going to start seeing the effects. And I think that is one of my major criticisms of the sort of environmental disaster movie is that the response that it creates is not like we should be kind to the environment now, but when disaster happens, like that shows us, like we have to then deal with the fallout and mitigate the damage. And then usually at the end of the disaster movie, there's some call to like policy action, right? Mm-hmm. And the the dynamic that that creates is that sort of like man versus nature, protagonist, antagonist, nature will act upon the protagonist and then they have to rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a lot of Miyazaki, even though the plot still somewhat works like that, the the message of it does seem to be less like we have to mitigate damage coming from nature and to us and be more of a steward of our environment mm-hmm. like the focus is much more on stewardship instead of mitigation or fighting back right yeah but if this like kind of the like say gen z i don't know this next generation coming up is constantly dealing with climate change as like no it is happening it's already happening i wonder how we can create that sort of more miyazaki type of relationship to nature that is more about stewardship regardless of damage and, and, and harm that it causes to us if that harm is constantly already happening. So are, is there a way for us to still use this Miyazaki model of relating to nature or is it all going to be like day after tomorrow's and twisters? Yeah. You're asking well, what to do about climate change. <laughs> That's your question. Yes. <laughs> so, did you do you have something on that, Laura? Colton, as the guest, I have at it. <laughs> yeah, Colton, um, fix climate change for me. <laughs> as yeah, living in Los Angeles, I don't know. No, I think we live in a crazy city. Um, You, you have, you. I think that I've talked a lot. Well, there's there's some things we've already touched on here that are important to remember. Like, you know, climate change 
and capitalism are interlinked. So maybe mm-hmm. we might want to look at some alternative economic systems. That's a, that's maybe one thing we could yeah. do. I don't know. Um, you know, climate change impacts people unevenly focus on, you know, redistributive reparative justice, you know, mm-hmm. all the things I, I read out of steam here. I think that I do think though, obviously as, there is as a, we all will, when it comes to climate yeah, change, there is a, obviously that there, there is no, a, if the steam runs out, that'll be good because yeah, there'll be no yeah, more pollution. Yeah. You have to get, oh, a, right. we yeah. all want to run out of steam. There is a, um, yes. obviously a difference between, um, like having a mindset about climate change, about um, like what you feel about climate change and your own, like when you're lying in bed at night, worrying about it, like how you eventually lull yourself to sleep versus like, no, like concretely, what should we do? And mm-hmm. obviously yeah, we are focusing more on one rather than the other, but there, I think that, you know, reframing your or one's worldview around the more philosophical side of it potentially leads to more concrete action. I mean, not, you know, within the academy, we just talk. Less like, concrete, but, more trees. <laughs> but I don't know, Kim. No, no, so, that, so that's... Sorry, I said no, it was so going to so be a great. bummer. <laughs> okay, so I I agree that, like, eventually policies have to be done and things have to be specifically implemented. And I think what's interesting on our platform as artists, and the reason that we do what we do is our job is to make people feel a certain way and to understand a concept to the point that they don't, it's not that they just know about it, like nonchalantly, yeah, there was this thing somewhere or Mm -hmm. yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. but that they feel it internally in their heart as well as their mind, right? That's what art does. That's the whole purpose of art. This is why we have media. This is, you know, Thomas Paine. This is movies in general. It's it's getting the word out and inspiring a movement, Mm -hmm. right? And so on the art side, none of us hold political position. We can't really do a lot. We can do our part and that's good and we can inspire. Mm -hmm. But that's really what it comes down to is people act on what they feel and if mm-hmm. we can make them feel and understand and connect with that and make that cultural narrative that it's not just a, a oh, I guess global warming is a thing that happens, but like, no, it's happening now. It's drastic. We need to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Then art can inspire. Mm-hmm. Um, I will, Simon, I mean, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, Simon Sinek, who's like, oh, author, no, I'm cutting you off. <laughs> as whoa, soon as whoa, you said whoa, Simon, whoa, I was like, whoa, I don't whoa. know about that. Are you this. not a Simon Sinek person? Get First of all, with that no. fucking marketing okay. bullshit, do okay. not bring. No, 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 no. <laughs> His, si- I love Simon Sinek, and I will die on that hill, and I will fight you on that hill. He's yeah, I will man. absolutely fight you. I think if Princess Mononoke It'll be were so here, sad that you would also fight you. But the um, other guy in that movie would be like, "Let's not fight about." Make this. your point. Yes. So, yeah, maybe you should try and understand me first, Laura. Duh. <laughs> um, the whole concept is start with why. Right. It's mm-hmm. not about like what's what the thing is. It's about why, why it matters and what's right. important. And so I think that film and art and Miyazaki does this. Miyazaki is not a politician and that's not mm-hmm. his calling. His what he does and what he did was to inspire mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. and that that will trickle down and do it right. Because nothing will happen if there's no conversation about it. And that's the whole aspect yeah. of art. What we do, we change culture through conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that it's bad to just 
to to be promoting these types of ideas until they become consistent and felt and yeah. understood. I mean, I would and argue Simon Sinek's a cool guy. He yeah. is. I mean, start with why is a pretty pretty late uh, name for a thing. But okay. I I would argue what? that no, I mean there. <laughs> It's an effective title for the bullshit that he's spitting in that book. Uh, so, I'm sorry. Colton knows more about marketing will, than I do. I will, Let me make I'll my have point. This conversation with all of you if you've read the book. I haven't, but somebody I know talked to me about it. I did like what they said. Um, I would argue Read it and then we there, can have a discussion. I would Laura. argue that there are more, uh, there are forms of media that call for more concrete action, like the third cinema movement which was all about like, not simply like being about artistic expression because that's like, that's what second cinema does. Third cinema is about actually, it is a call to action. And um, a lot of media also does that. And I actually think, I don't disagree with you. I think it's good to have both. Not everything can be a a concrete call to action because that is exhausting. And we need to also be able to have, you know. It's not, it's not accepted. People, people don't want to be preached to. Oh my God, I feel like this is getting into cognitive film theory, but we are at the end of this episode. So we'll just have to come back and do another thing about cognitive film theory. So. Stay tuned for season four or whatever. If-, if we end on that, that would be, people would be like, <laughs> by season three is done the next episode come out. Wait, okay. I do have one after, after you finish, I do have a, a thought on please. Yes, I, I don't want to end without acknowledging that, like, since I did bring up this massive bummer of a question, mm-hmm. yes. um, that maybe Miyazaki's films really are what, or that sort of, like, narrative structure will be really helpful. Because yes. as you both talked about, um, like, policy needs to happen. And I think in a lot of cases, policymakers respond from, even as they're, like, coming from this... Um, like we need to fix things, right? They're responding from the sort of day after tomorrow, the environmental disaster movie, right? Mm-hmm. And it, that response is about fixing damage that is either A, already been done or responding after harm has been created. Um, and that harm is happening all the time. Like uh, right now in, in Louisiana, like there are victims of mm-hmm. Hurricane Ida that are, are struggling in a way that is much more concrete than, than anything that we have yet experienced in our relatively privileged lives. Um, and certainly much more concrete than this animated movie. Mm-hmm. But I would say that like making sure that we still show this next generation and generate subsequent generations, movies and narratives that talk about stewardship of your environment regardless of harm. Like what you were talking about earlier with that mm-hmm. quote um, from Miyazaki Golden, that we need to care not just for living things, but for the air and for the mountains, that we, we need to protect yeah. these things sort of of their, for themselves in their own sake. And then coming at policy from that position, uh, I think will create more lasting change than just responding like every five years, like, oh my God, Louisiana got fucked again. Like, right. yeah, it did because we keep making these choices coming from the same, like a hurricane happened now, what do we do response? Instead of like, there's a holistic approach that we can take to this problem 
um, that we are definitely yeah. creating. Um, so how do we deal with that? Media Literate is a collaborative podcast produced by Colton Elsey, Sebastian Wurzreiner, Laura Broman, Kim Henry, Julia Rose Camus, and Julia Elizabeth Evans. This episode was edited by Anne Zhang. Our theme music is Soft Feeling by Chiel, and our logo was created by Julia.